Good morning. Hope you guys are good. Um, I know some of you haven't been here in a while. Glad to have our students back and some others maybe who are settling in after the summer. Glad you're here. Uh, first of all, I want to welcome you. Um, second, do want to encourage you to check out these uh, small groups. We call them connect groups, um, but it's really important. We're going to look a little bit at that this morning. And one of the ways that um, we grow to fullness in Christ, is, which is what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, is in community with, with God's Word. And so um, I want to encourage you to do that. And, you know, you can go to the Next Steps table out here in the back after the service and, and sign up. They'll be glad to help you um, take that next step. They'll be glad to uh, help you get into a group. And so really want to encourage you to do that. Um, it is crucial that we uh, spend time together in God's Word and, and um, in fellowship, not just um, doing this on our own. We, we can't do it alone. And so I uh, encourage you to check those out. Um, one thing I will tell you and confess to you, I told nine o'clock at 1118 last night, I was sitting in traffic outside SunTrust Park in Atlanta um, after watching our Atlanta Braves defeat the Los Angeles Dodgers. It was a great game. Very, yeah, 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 yeah. We can clap for them. Um, <laughs> y'all better clap during the message too then. You clap for the Braves, you better clap for Jesus. Right? So um, anyway, but, but a great game. I'm not going to tell you what time I pulled into my driveway because we do have a lot of law enforcement. And, um, but I was sitting there still in traffic at 1118. So very uh, late night for me. I've never fallen asleep during one of my messages before. Um, could be a first today. If I do, I, as I ask 9 o'clock, if you would just leave quietly, cut the lights out. Um, God bless you. We'll see you next week kind of thing. Um, no. Uh, and so it was late night. Um, running on a little bit of adrenaline right now. I had a lady come up after the nine o'clock and she said, I couldn't tell that you hadn't had any sleep. I'm like, look, I'm on about two hours of adrenaline. About one o'clock, you'll find me like in a coma somewhere, right? As this adrenaline just falls, uh, goes away and, and I'll be laying in the fetal position in the corner in my office probably. So anyway, um, but I'm excited to share what uh, is on my heart today, what I feel like the Lord put in my heart to share with you. And for those of you who haven't been here this summer, um, we've covered a lot of ground, okay? Um, we have, have really covered a lot of different things. I want to encourage you to go back um, to messages you may have missed, or if you're new and you've never been to church here before, drop back to probably somewhere probably in the middle of May, right? That's a lot of Sundays. That's a lot of messages. But I'd encourage you to go back and try to catch up on parts of these messages um, because it's very vital to where um, we're going as a church and what I believe God's called his church to be and to be about. And, and so um, as we look at this, one of the scriptures we've been looking at a lot lately is Ephesians 2.22. I've mentioned it every week for uh, several weeks. And this scripture says this, In him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Um, I want to encourage you again, church, those of you who've been here, you've heard this, but those of you who haven't, listen, we're being built into something. God is building us into something, um, something that he desires to use in the world. It's bigger than just showing up on Sunday. It's bigger um, than, you know, uh, going to connect group. It's bigger than that. It's, it's, it's a worldwide global purpose that God has for his church. And I want to encourage you guys that we're being built into something. We're being built into God's temple. 
not a temple with, with stone and mortar or sheetrock and metal studs, but a temple of people, people who have come to life in Christ and are being built together by the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the purpose that God has for us. And I want you to look at this purpose that um, is seen from Genesis chapter one all the way through to the end of the Bible in Revelation. And our purpose has been and will always be to fill and renew the earth with people reconciled to God through Jesus. Initially, it was to fill the earth with people who were created in God's image. After sin, now we've been reconciled to God through Christ is to fill the earth um, with people who've been reconciled and to renew the earth um, through these people so that every part of the earth sings the praises of God, right? That was what this whole thing was about from the very beginning. And, and so we need to see this, that this is why we exist, why we exist as a church, why we exist as people um, reconciled to Christ or reconciled to God through Christ. When we look at this, there's two goals we need to realize if this is gonna happen. One is the church grows to maturity in Christ, okay? We've gotta get to this place where um, we're growing up. We're not in this perpetual state of, of infancy any longer, but we're growing up into maturity. If you read the writings of the Apostle Paul, um, one of his main goals, probably his main goal, was to see the church grow to fullness of maturity so that he could present um, the church to Christ um, full and mature without spot and blemish. And so this is huge. The second one is that the church moves from this pastoral or dependency model of ministry um, to a biblical model. And, and again, I'm gonna hit this real quick, guys. You need to go back. And we spent a couple of weeks just unpacking this. But the, the one on the left, that model is this pastoral or dependency model where pretty much everything kind of rests or is focused on a few people, this, the staff, the one on the right is the biblical model. We see it pretty clearly in Ephesians chapter four that God gives leaders to equip people so that each part of the body does its work. I wanna encourage you, if you're new here, I want you to understand this, that you were not created um, just to, to sit by and watch other people do ministry. You are a minister. Ministers are not pastors. They are pastors, but it's not, it's not limited to pastors. It's not limited to people who wear a collar. A, a, a priest is not just someone um, you know, who, who lives uh, a life uh, um, that's in vocational ministry. We're all priests, we're all ministers. And so we wanna see people equipped to do their part in the body and to see the church function the way it's designed to function. Um, the goal would be that one day, uh, this church is functioning in such a way that somebody goes, didn't there used to be a guy named Brandon here, right? That we work ourselves sort of out of a job, so to speak, that, 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 that the body functions on its own, um, dependent upon God and interdependent on each other. The way this really happens, if you look at the one on the right here, is through relationship. We were created for relationship. It has to happen through relationship as we walk together, um, people being equipped to do their part in the body of Christ. Now, where the messages have been going lately is we, we looked at the foundation of that pastoral or, or dependency model. And the foundation we look at is in, in this model is sometimes cracked. We know the foundation is Jesus. I wanna be very clear. Jesus is whole and complete. There's no cracks in Christ, right? But 
the way we've presented him, the way we've presented the gospel, many times how we've um, come to Christ, many times um, how we understand Jesus and the gospel, um, there's some holes in it. And so we've gone back and we've been trying to shore up this foundation um, to get clarity about who Jesus is, about who God is, about who we are, about who we are in Christ, these kind of things. So the first one we dealt with was that many times there's no clear call to follow Jesus, to become a disciple of Christ. And so we looked at um, some questions and answered these, calling people to continue in um, relationship in the presence of God with Jesus to follow, to count the cost, realize the cost is worth it, and to follow Jesus with everything that we have. Um, and then the second one, which is where we are now, is that sometimes there's been no clear call to fullness in Christ or in Jesus. The third one we'll get to soon, no clear call to Jesus's people, the church. The fourth one, um, no clear call to Jesus's mission, which goes back to that purpose that I talked about earlier. And so right now, if you look at this, we're really looking at this second um, foundation crack, okay? Th this fullness in Christ. And, and real quick, I wanna give you a definition of fullness. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but it's to be complete, perfect, whole, thorough. This is the, the biblical meaning of fullness. Having all or the totality of something. In this case, we have the totality of God. God didn't give us part of himself. He gave him all of himself. Um, and so we realize that fullness has been given to us in Christ. We have everything that we need to live the life that God's called us to live because of Jesus, because of the gift of the Spirit. Three areas of fullness we need to get to. One is fullness of relationship, okay? The second one, fullness of image or identity. The third one, fullness of expression. If we're gonna fulfill that purpose that I told you, to, to see the earth filled and renewed with people who've been reconciled to God through Jesus. These things are gonna have to happen for the church to function the way it's designed to function. We come to fullness of relationship. We're given relationship, but we grow into relationship. We're, we, we come to fullness in our image, our identity, how we relate to, each other, relate to ourselves even. And so we are given Christ's identity, but we grow into that identity. Um, and then the fullness of expression, how we um, live out the gospel, how we as a body, listen, we don't, we don't give a full expression of Jesus alone. It takes the full body to do this. And so we're gonna see how important these things are. Um, the last thing uh, that I would show you about this foundation is if you look at this, when we, when we look at this, I want you to see those three areas that, that I just mentioned. Um, that, that we have to come to fullness in. They're also represented here um, in this foundation. This would be the relationship. This is identity or image. This is how we relate to one another. It's all relational. And this would be our purpose or fully fulfilling our purpose. Okay, And so these things line up with the areas of fullness that we have to grow into. And so I want you to be able to see this. If we're going to grow into this, and this is really where these messages the last week or two have been coming from, we've got to have some paradigm shifts. Paradigms are basically assumptions we've made about how things are. It's, it's assumptions we made about how things are, and, and oftentimes they're unchallenged. Um, 
And so there's some assumptions we've made about the church. One, mostly because it's all we've ever known, right? We've got to pray and allow God to open our eyes to his word to see who and what the church is supposed to be. And we need to have a paradigm shift or a way, a change of assumptions. We need to have a change of how we think and how I relate to God, how I relate to myself and how I relate to others. If we're going to begin this shift, then there's three areas. Listen, I know this is a lot, but we're going to dive into the second one right here in just a second. The conditions of our relationship with God. Go back and listen to last week's message. We talked about the conditions of our relationship with God. This is one of the places that the paradigm has to shift is in how we come to God. For most of us, if we asked you, how do you come to God? We would say through Jesus, right? But Oftentimes, what we do is we, we would mentally assent to that, but then in how we approach God or how we still live our life, we're still auditioning for God's love. And so it's huge that we understand the conditions of our relationship are completely by faith in Jesus. Okay, that is the conditions of how we come into relationship with God is by faith in Christ. And so we live for God then, not trying to earn his favor or his love. We live for God because of the love and favor he's poured out on us. It's a huge difference, okay? And so we talked about that last week. Go back, look at that, process it, internalize it, study it. The second one is our position in Christ. The third one, our perpetual dependency on God. And and so I wanna pray for us. And then we're gonna jump into this um, position in Christ. It's huge, it's very important. And I hope you'll see that today um, in the next probably 15 minutes or so as we dive into this. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word and your truth. I thank you for the love you've given us, God. I thank you for making... um, a way for us to come to you. God, the conditions of the relationship being only, God, in Christ because it's the only way we could ever come to you. So, Father, I pray you'll open our hearts, open our eyes today to see you more clearly. We love you, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's sometimes as a dad, I feel like a pretty good dad. There's sometimes, as a dad, I don't feel like a very good dad. And um, probably looking back on yesterday afternoon may not have been such a great dad moment. Uh, we go to uh, the Braves game. We stopped in Macon. Everybody got a little hungry, wanted something to drink. It was me and my three boys. Um, and so we're driving up. We stop in Macon. So I will go into the Dunkin' Donuts there, get a, a little coffee, get them something. And so um, while we were there, uh, they got um, something to drink, which was full of sugar. Um, they got, Reed, my eight-year-old, got two donuts, strawberry frosted with sprinkles. My 13-year-old got an apple fritter and a chocolate donut with sprinkles. And then my 16-year-old got everything else that they had there. And so um, it's pretty much what he does. And so, um, but anyway, I took a picture of it, sent it to Susan, and they're like all holding up this junk food. And I'm like, hey, we're eating healthy. Aren't you proud? And, and so um, not probably the best thing. Last night, we leave the Braves game. We had all, except for Reed, the eight-year-old, had gotten something, a, you know, a hamburger, chicken fingers, something to eat while we were there. Um, and as we're leaving, Reed goes, dad, what about supper? This is like, I'm telling you, this is 11 o'clock at night. 
I'm like, son, we ate supper. He's like, no, no, I didn't. And I realized all he had had since lunch that day were two frosted donuts with uh, strawberry frosting and sprinkles, um, a pretzel, one of the big pretzels, and a bag of cotton candy. That was all he ate like the whole day. And I mean, he loved it, but I'm like, man, probably not the best thing for him, right? Probably not going to grow up and be healthy uh, in, if, if that's all he ever ate. Uh, I guess it's okay occasionally, but um, I'll probably um, not get dad of the year for feeding my kids that. But when we look at that, it's kind of the same thing with our relationship with God and, and growing into fullness. If we're going to grow into fullness, we, we've got to... Um, be nourished. We've got to, um, as as First Peter tells us um, in chapter two, he says to crave pure spiritual milk, right? That we grow up by it, and and so we need this nourishment. As we look at God's word today, I want to start out, and and I hope this will be nourishing to you. I hope that this will encourage you. I hope that this will excite you as we move forward. But I want to start out in the very beginning, literally in Genesis chapter one. And if you've been around a while, you've seen this a little bit. We've talked about this some, but I want to just hit this real quick. And then listen, we're going to jump to Genesis um, chapter three, the end of it. We looked at two and three last week. This week, we're going to look at the, the end of Genesis three and go in a little bit into four. And so what we're about to look at in Genesis 1, 2, 3, and, and maybe a couple other places, I want you to hold on to it until we get into Genesis a little bit, and we're going to kind of bring that back, okay? So Genesis chapter 1, I want you to see some things that were really clear before Syrian entered the world. As we look at God's creation, he created it all. It was very good, and we're going to see some things here that were very good. We, he, he, it literally says that, that when he saw all that he created, he saw that it was very good. What was very good about it? Well, the first thing I want you to see that's very good is in verse 28 of chapter 1. It says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Well, the first thing that was very good was that our purpose was clear. There was great clarity of purpose while we existed. The first words that God speaks to mankind is our purpose. It's why we exist and why we still exist to this day. The second thing that was very good is if you go and you look in chapter 2, um, verses 19 through uh, 20, then what you see is God is in a perfect relationship with Adam at this point. There's a relationship where they're, they're, they're perfectly united. Um, if you look at this, the, the, they're having conversations. God comes and he speaks to Adam and he allows Adam to name the, the creatures and all the, the livestock, all the different animals, whatever Adam named them, that's what they were. If you go on down, you see where God creates Eve, that Adam and Eve would um, be together and they would uh, together complete um, each other in a way that um, the fullness of God could be experienced and the fullness of God could be expressed. And here's the thing that's crazy about this is they were in a perfect relationship. Right? The perfect relationship with God gave them the ability to have a perfect relationship with each other. Maybe hard for us to fathom that, but it was there in the beginning. The other thing that we see in this, so we see that God had a very clear purpose for them. It was very good. 
We see that God had a perfect relationship with them. That was very good. We see that they had a perfect relationship with each other. That was very good. And so when we look at this, the last thing we see, the fourth thing is that they were connected perfectly with their image bearer. They had an, they had an understanding of who they were and who they were created to be. That was very good. So those four areas, think back now to the four cracks in the foundation that we looked at. The relationship, that clear call to follow, to live in his presence, our identity, how we relate to each other in the community of, of believers, the church, and our purpose. Those four things that we looked at and are now oftentimes cracks in the foundation of the church were specifically clear in scripture before sin. After sin in Genesis chapter three, it all becomes distorted. We see man hiding from God. There's no longer a perfect relationship there. They're trying to make themselves right with God by sowing fig leaves to cover their sin, their shame. We see that Adam and Eve, now that now instead of Eve being a source of blessing, Eve has become this source of a, of a burden to him now. We see that they don't know who they are any longer. They're, the, 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 why they were there, they're not connected perfectly with the image bearer, the one whose image they were created in. We see um, very clearly that how they relate to each other is extremely broken. Their identity's messed up. Their relationship with each other's messed up. And then we see that the purpose is messed up. You go over to Genesis chapter 11, you see the Tower of Babel. What are they doing? They're building a tower. They're all in one area building a tower. And why are they building that tower? To make a name for themselves. Why were they created? To scatter over the face of the earth and glorify the name of God. So those four things that were real clear in the beginning after sin, they got really distorted and messed up quickly. And so I want you to see that. Now let's just hold on to that. Kind of file that somewhere and hold on to it. Don't forget it. Let's go to Genesis chapter three. Last week I told you we looked at the conditions of our relationship with God um, Galatians, in Galatians two and the beginning of three. Today we're gonna go to Galatians at the end of three, beginning in verse 23, and look at our position in Christ and what that means, okay? To get to verse 23, you need to understand a few things. Before this, the apostle Paul writing to the churches in Galatia, he's telling them, listen, you're not made right by observing the law or the rules. He's like, listen, you didn't you didn't receive the Holy Spirit by observing law and rules. You received it by faith. That's that, received him by faith. That's at the beginning of Galatians 3. And he tells them, listen, he, God gave a promise to Abraham, and he's called us to this same promise. Abraham was made righteous by faith. He was not made righteous by the works of the law. But then Moses comes along. God gives the law to Moses, these rules. And, and God says, if you obey these, then you'll be my people. And here's where we get stuck sometimes. Listen, this is not just for the Jewish people back then. This is for Christians today. We still get stuck in this place. We miss the purpose for the law. We miss the purpose for, for the law, the rules that God gave. The law and the rules that God gave were never intended to make us right with God. They were never intended to save us. Why? Because they couldn't. Is it because the law's not good or perfect? No, it's because us in our flesh are incapable of completely, fully keeping them. Like if you look at the 10 commandments alone, how many of us have broken one of those commandments? All of us, 
A lot of y'all broken every one of them. Probably all of us have, if you want to know the truth. And so when we look at this, we see like the, the law could never make us right, could never make us righteous with God. In fact, the only thing that the law can do because of the weakness of our flesh, because of the weakness of our ability to keep it, the only thing that the law can do is condemn us before God. It cannot make us right before God. But we were never intended to stop there. Realizing that the law could not make us righteous was always intended to drive us to Christ, to drive us to faith in Jesus who can make us right with God because we realize I can't make me right. I can't make me right. And so the law then drives us to God. Now listen to what Paul says about this in Galatians 3.23. He's talked about faith making us right with God, not the law. He's trying to keep them from going back to the law. In verse 23, he says, before the coming of this faith, what faith? The faith that makes us right with God, the faith in Christ that makes us right with him and in right relationship with him. He says, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. If you break that down, what that literally means is we were in a prison. We're in a prison of law. that kept us custody, but it didn't give any freedom. It couldn't make us right with God. It couldn't set us free from sin. It couldn't set us free from condemnation. It couldn't set us free from the slavery that we existed in to, to sin and Satan and death. And so he's saying, listen, before, before this faith came, we were in a prison. He goes on in verse 24 and he says, so the law was our guardian or tutor until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. And so that word for guardian or tutor, it, it was more than like someone who might teach you a lesson like in school. It, it had a connotation that it was somewhat of a harsh guardian, someone who was even probably borderline abusive, just sort of a taskmaster, a disciplinarian who just sort of stood over you. And when you got out of line, bap, just rebuked you that way. And then when you got out of line, bap, just rebuked you that way. And that's still how many of us approach God today. But what he's telling us is, listen, before this faith came, that's what we were left with, is the law could rebuke us and the law could content, condemn us, but we couldn't keep it perfect enough to escape the prison that it held us in. Are you tracking? We good? And so he says, we were in big trouble. And think about what he's telling the Galatians here. He's trying to keep them from going back to a workspace righteousness with God, which is no righteousness at all. And he's telling them, why would you go back to the prison? Why would you go back to a brutal, harsh guardian that they can't free you? It only gives you life. I mean, it only gives you the prison and rebuke. But listen to verse 25. He says, now that, and so this is a transition. He's transitioning to something else. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. He's saying, now that this faith has come, we've been set free from the prison. We're no longer confined, bound as slaves. He says, listen, now that this faith has come, we've, we don't need the guardian anymore. The harsh rebuke, why? We now have the spirit who leads us. We now have 
have faith righteousness. We've been made right by faith. And listen to how this plays out for them. Now that this faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. Think about how this plays out. What is Paul telling them? Listen, you know what it was like when you lived under the law. You know what it was like when you lived under this guardian. You know what it was like when you lived in this prison of condemnation and your conscience could never be cleansed. You know what it was like, but you know the one who set you free. You know the one who gave you his spirit. You know the one who gave you grace upon grace upon grace for sin upon sin upon sin. Why would you go back to the prison and this tyrannical guardian? Hold tight to faith in Christ. Finish as you began. Don't go back to some works-based righteousness. But let grace remain amazing and live for God because of the grace he's given, not because you're trying to earn his favor. It's very, very different. But we... In the church, still approach, we live more like we're in the Old Testament than we do like we're in the New. We should live motivated by God's love and the Spirit we've received, not because I'm still trying to make Him approve of me. Go back and listen to last week's message. You can find it online and. and Listen to the conditions of the relationship. Now, this is where it's going to get real exciting. I got five minutes to tell you all about it. Verse 26. So in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. Now, what's he said? He said this in in, uh, verse 25. Now that, in other words, now that faith has come, what you were is is not what you are. What you were is not what you are. Something's happened because of faith. Something's different. He's telling us what's different. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Now we've gone from being slaves in prison and under the the tutelage of of a tyrannical, um, uh, uh, harsh guardian to being the children of the king. Now that... What you were is not what you are if you've come to faith in Christ. Think about what that means to be children of the king, to be children of the king of the universe, the one who rules over it all. We don't think about kingdoms that much anymore. We don't, have, we don't live in a, you know, a kingdom world as much as it used to be. But in those days, um, like in Rome, you didn't go before the emperor. You wouldn't go before a king unless you were invited. You didn't just show up and be like, hey, man, I need to talk to the king. If you came in uninvited, you could be imprisoned, you could be killed, all these things. The only people who had 24-7 access to the king was his family. And Paul's telling us, you're God's children. You can come into his presence anytime you want to. He's always available. He's never off limits. And so we see this, that in verse 26, what we see is in Christ. That's our position, in Christ. How do we get into that position? By faith, in Christ. So now in Christ, I'm a son, I'm a daughter of God, the king of the universe. I have 24-7 access unconditional love that he's poured out in my life. I no longer live as a slave trying to earn his favor. I'm now brought into the kingdom of God as a child, as a son, as a daughter. My position in Christ is as a son, it is as a daughter. From slavery 
to a child. Verse 27, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's the word, the phrase again, baptized into Christ, into Christ. That's our position. By faith, I've come into Christ. What does he tell me? He tells me that by faith, I have been clothed with Christ. From the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, I am clothed with Christ. What am I clothed with? Like, you know, a robe? You're clothed with the image, the identity of Jesus, the righteousness of Christ. How many of y'all have ever seen it? They were really weird to me. I'm glad my kids got away from them. Um, but how many of y'all have ever seen those? They call them, I think, morph suits. Anybody ever seen those things? My kids wore them for a while. I don't know why. But, but they covered them like completely. So it'd be like blue. And then they just put on this, this clothing that covered from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet, completely covered in this suit. I want you to think about being clothed in Christ in that way. We're clothed from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet, completely wrapped up in Christ, his identity, his image, his righteousness. It means when God looks at us, what does he see? Jesus. But it also means this, and this is huge. When we look at us, what should we see? How many of us do that consistently? It's one reason so many of us spend so much time in a mirror, right? Because we haven't yet seen ourselves clothed in Christ. Clothed in Christ, righteous, our identity. I'm falling behind on my slides. Identity in Christ. I have found my true identity and image because I am clothed in him. Verse 26, or 28, listen to this. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in, in Christ. It's a big deal. Verse 26, in Christ Jesus. Verse 27, into Christ. Verse 28, in Christ Jesus. I think he's trying to tell us something about our position in Christ and with God through faith in Jesus. What's he tell us here though? Listen, we're on a level playing field, right? I might be standing on a stage, but listen, we're on a level playing field. There is no rank, there is no race, and, and there is no division that exists because of, of, of gender. He said, look, there, there's no Jew and Gentile. There's no black and white. He said, listen, there's no, there's no male and female. Listen, there's no rank. There's no pastor here, everybody else here. Like he's got some, you know, red phone that, that goes straight to God. He said, we're all one. So in Christ, this is what I find. I find my community. I belong to a new society of people. I've been taken from the kingdom of this world and this community of this world, and I've been transferred, as Colossians says, into the kingdom of the son whom he loves. And I now have become a son. I now have become a daughter. I now live in this kingdom. I don't live in this one any longer. And I don't live here alone. I live with every person who has put faith and trust in Jesus for salvation, has received the spirit of God, and now is is pursuing him, walking with him, continuing in his presence, following him. 
I find my community in Christ. My position in Christ brings me into a new community. Now listen, church, here's what we've got to do. We've got to grow up into the community that Jesus has already made us because we are far from there yet. But this is what I can tell you. We're going to get there. Not because of who we are and because of what we can do. We're going to get there because Philippians 1.6 tells us that what God starts, he finishes. And if we'll pursue him, he's going to do his part. So we find our community. The last one, verse 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What was the promise? One, Abraham was made righteous through faith, right? He believed God. It was credited to him to righteous. Go read Genesis chapter 15. But also the promise was that Abraham's descendants, who God said would be more numerous than the stars in the sky, that Abraham's descendants, and it's not just physical descendants, it's people who were born into the body of Christ by faith in Jesus. He says that those descendants will, will be a blessing to all nations. Go read Genesis 12, three. When he first comes to Abram, who later becomes Abraham, he says, from your seed, all nations will be blessed. Does that sound anything familiar to what we read in Genesis 1.28? What I want you to see, guys, is that in Christ, I've also found my purpose. In Christ, I've been anchored back into the purpose of God. I was floating around out here, disconnected from the people of God, from the purpose of God, from any identity other than one that somebody created for me or I attempted to create for myself. I was floating around without relationship with God and God through the power of Jesus, the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit, plucks me out of this place of nothingness and brings me into the body. He gives me relationship with him. He gives me an identity that no one can take away. He gives me a community to do life with and to transform the world with. And he anchors me back into the purpose of God. So I don't just exist. I exist for God's purposes. Now go back to this. I want you to see this because this isn't something that we're just pulling out of the air. What did I tell you earlier? Relationship. Identity. Community. And then our purpose. These four things are all throughout Scripture. Those four things that were lost because of sin. Listen, Jesus has given them back. Jesus has, has, listen, this is the best way I can say it. Jesus has brought us back to where we belong. If we, listen, if we really believe that, then that ought to excite us a lot more than the Braves beating the Dodgers, right? Now, I hope they win two out of three. Probably not. Hope they do. Don't think we're quite on that level yet. But here's the thing, guys. Jesus has brought us back to where we belong. If you go on, and we don't have time. I wish we could spend three hours going through this. This stuff is exciting to me. I love it. 
None of y'all come back though. But if you go on and you read chapter four, the first 11 verses, Paul tells us this. He says, now through faith in Christ, you've been adopted as sons. You've been adopted as daughters. In the first century in Rome, when you adopted someone, it was irrevocable. You didn't go like, hey, I want to adopt them. You get the paper signed and then you're like, ah, never mind. It's irrevocable. Paul's saying it's permanent. Paul goes on, he says, and because we're sons, he's poured out his spirit into us. What does the spirit do? The spirit guarantees the inheritance that is to come. He is a down payment and a deposit for what is to come in the future. It is telling us and assuring us that we are the children of God. What are the results of this? Why does this matter? It pours God's love out into us. It gives us greater love. We share greater love. It gives us greater joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of these things. It gives us greater steps of faith. Why? Because I I can take those steps because I'm confident in God. And if I fail, it doesn't change my value and worth. Failure doesn't determine who I am. So I can go full speed with God. I can step in faith and not in the fear of man. The fear of man no longer becomes a snare. Why? When I'm resting in and anchored in who I am in Christ, clothed with Christ, and realize that I'm much more concerned with what he thinks than I am what everybody around me thinks. It gives me a greater God consciousness. It Listen, not when I get it right, but especially when I stumble. We realize I'm his kid. You know, when, when my children were little and they'd be running, they were like first learning to run, you know, they're wobbling and they're, they're starting to run and, and they'd fall and stumble. And, you know, sometimes they skin their arm, their knee, break an arm. We've had a lot of that. I didn't run up to them and be like, get up. You're horrible. He's only two. I know he's two. He should be better than that. When he stumbled, what did I do? I ran and got him. Why do we think that we can be a better father than God? But most of us, when we stumble in life, we don't become more conscious and aware of his grace and turn back to him quickly. We think that somehow that we as fathers can somehow be more gracious than the God of grace. And we think that somehow he's just standing there going, you suck. You're awful. I don't even know why I created you. Can you ever get anything right? And for some of you, that's what you've heard from a father, but not from your heavenly father. How do I stay in it? God's word, you gotta be in this. This week, go back and read this. Spend time in it, process it, internalize it. Let God speak to you. God's word in community. We don't need to just preach this to ourselves. We need other people around us preaching, preaching it to us constantly, constantly, constantly because the world out there has told us our identity is wrapped up in everything but unconditional love given by God. We've got to renew our minds to see God, ourselves, others, and our purpose in accordance with his truth, not accordance with the world's opinion. The third thing we need, It's God's spirit. We gotta have God's spirit. God's spirit is the spirit of truth. He reminds us of truth. He leads us into all truth. 
And listen, there's a truth that we're going to declare. And we won't get out of here about 10 minutes late. Surprise, surprise. But we're about to declare a truth that we've talked about today. That we belong to God. That I'm his child. And we're going to declare that truth. We're going to declare that truth to God, praising him for it. We're going to declare that truth to ourselves, reminding ourselves of it. And we're going to declare that truth to each other, realizing we're a community of believers called for a purpose, being built together for a purpose. And that when we walk in the presence and continue in the presence of God, not even death, not the gates of hell can stop his church. And we're going to proclaim that together today. So I want to pray. We're going to sing. Father, I thank you for your love for us and your grace, your mercy. God, thank you that we belong to you, not because of what we've done, but because of your amazing grace. And God, right now we sing to you and declare your truth over your people in Christ's name.